Second Chronicles chapter 7, and we're going to read verses uh, 11 through 14. It says there, When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and had succeeded in carrying out all that he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, there's an old story of a, um, back in frontier days, of um, there was a little town that was uh, kind of uh, not too far away from kind of a more urban area, and in the little town they invited this preacher. He was supposed to be a, a really well-known preacher, really good, so they invited him to come over and to speak. And so he comes out to this little country church, and it's a revival, and he preaches his heart out. And, and, uh, and when he's done, it, it, like I said, it's kind of back in frontier days. When he's done, he, he's standing behind the pulpit, and after he gives the closing prayer, several of the guys in the congregation who were wearing weapons got up, pulled their weapons, and started up the aisle. Well, he kind of freaks out and, and kind of falls back because he's scared and actually falls into the little bench there where the, uh, where the chief deacon is. And he's like, what's going on? What's going on? Chief Deacon says, don't worry, they're not after you. They're after the guy that invited you to preach. When we talk about scheduling revivals, and, and so we'll say, you know, we're going to have a revival this time or that time, there's nothing, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that, although it, it's really kind of, of false advertising in one sense because we can't schedule a revival. We can't determine when the Holy Spirit is going to move. And we've been talking about the Holy Spirit over the last few weeks, and this morning we want to talk about Him with regard to seeing a powerful move of the Lord. And when it comes to, you can schedule a revival meeting, but you can't schedule a revival because it isn't something that we can kind of come together and manufacture. It has to be a move of the Holy Spirit. He has to come in a way where He starts touching hearts and transforming lives, and that's nothing that we can force to have happen, but instead it just has to be that he has chosen to come forward and do that. There are things we need to be doing toward making uh, that, the conditions right for that to happen, but we need a move of the Holy Spirit for that revival, for true revival, to actually occur. Now, as we think about that, um, we've been talking for a while about fire from heaven within our church and wanting to see God move in a way where, where we see uh, the move of the Holy Spirit in our church and in our town and in our county in a way that hasn't been seen in a, in a really long time. And this passage this morning, as we think about how wanting that is connected intrinsically to seeing the Holy Spirit move, this passage this morning gives us some insights into, again, we can't manufacture it, we can't force it to happen, but there are things that we need to make sure that are happening in our lives toward moving us in the direction of seeing fire from heaven, seeing revival conditions right for the Holy Spirit to move. We're going to look in this passage, and it's a, a fairly well-known passage, uh, here in, in 2 Chronicles chapter uh, 7, uh, a lot of people quote it concerning revival. And what I want to do is you can see, if you're visiting with us this morning, there's a sermon outline 
in your bullet, and you're welcome to follow along and take notes if you want, or you can just follow the passages. But I want to chop this passage up and look at four different things this morning with regard to uh, seeing fire from heaven, seeing revival happen, making sure that uh, we are doing all that we can to, to push things in the direction of seeing a move from the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we want to talk about is this. It starts with God's people seeking God. It starts with God's people seeking God. So when we think about seeing revival, and when we think about seeing a move of the Holy Spirit, uh, it's interesting here in verse 13. So this is a really big historic moment in the history of Israel. It has to do with the temple being built by Solomon. It has to do with his palace being built. And, and the Lord comes and, and warns them, okay, now this is a high moment. Everything's going great now. If there's a moment when things have gotten bad, if there's a moment when I'm not moving anymore and, and you're seeing negative things happen, he gives them a prescription, basically, for how they should respond. And, and we need to understand the first piece in verse 14. He says, having talked in verse 13 about, uh, when I shut up heaven so that there is no rain, this has to do with times where the, the people have gotten away from God. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name. Let's pause there for a second. So the beginning point that he has here is not go to everybody that's doing all the worst things, go to everybody that's, that's, that's acting terribly, but instead he wants to, like the other nations around them or something like that, but instead he wants to start, and he has to start, with God's people. And, and as we think about that, I won't keep your finger here, but look with me over in 1 Peter, all the way over almost to the end of the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we misinterpret this verse a lot of times today because what we'll do is we'll say, okay, now in the Old Testament it was Israel that needed to repent, and so if we want to see it today, then it's America that needs to repent. And that's not an accurate uh, uh, way to, to uh, apply it to today because as we look over in, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, in talking about the church, this is not talking about America, this is talking about the church, he says about the church, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So one of the descriptors of the church is that we are a holy nation. And as you go back to this passage here in 2 Chronicles, when we think about God's people, as we fast forward that from Israel and that to the context we have today, the, the, the God's people, the holy nation that he is referring to or would be pushing toward today would not be America, but it would be the church. And the important thing about that is that oftentimes when we think about the fact that things aren't the way that we want it to be, our country isn't the way that we want it to be, or, or our, our society isn't functioning as we would hope, Oftentimes, we kind of act like, well, you know, okay, we obviously are getting it right. We in the church, God just thinks we're awesome. It's all those people outside the church. They're the problem. That's why everything isn't happening the way that it's supposed to be. And what we need to remember from this passage as a starting point is that revival doesn't start with everybody else getting where they need to be with God. Revival starts with God's people getting where they need to be with God. It starts with God's people getting right and being in a situation where they should be. And so as we look at this, we don't start as we're going to pray for revival and as we're going to pray for fire from heaven. 
we don't start with saying, all right, God, we, well, we want you to transform all those people out there who are doing things they shouldn't be doing. No, we need to start with the church. If my people who are called by my name and say, God, we want you to transform the church. We want you to bring our hearts where they need to be. We'll talk about specific things here in a second that we need to do. But it starts with those that are already the people of God getting to where they need to be before God because that's the, the point of the fire. That's the point of the revival that then goes out from there. And hopefully there are a ton of people uh, that aren't saved that get saved. There are hopefully a ton of people that are in addiction that get out of addiction and all those transformational things. But it starts with the people of God. And so we need to make sure that we understand that that is the starting point and then recognize that, okay, I need to be looking not outwardly at those around me, I need to be looking inwardly at myself and make sure that I am who I need to be and that I am living for God the way that I need to live. That leads us to a second thing. So first of all, it starts with God's people seeking God. The second thing is this. It continues as we squarely face how far short we fall. As we squarely face how far short we fall. Look at verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Will humble themselves. As I said a moment ago, this is a, a big moment for Israel. It's the, it's the dedication of the temple everything is kind of coming together. And so they're kind of feeling pretty arrogant at this point, possibly. And so if they do get in that place where they are not where they need to be, the first step is that they need to humble themselves. There was a great preacher many years ago named Harry Morehouse, and he was from Britain, but he had come over to America, and he was doing, uh, they were having revival services, but the Holy Spirit really wasn't moving. The Holy Spirit was not uh, transforming lives. And so he was praying about it. He was just really burdened. God, why aren't you moving? Why aren't you moving? And then one day he was out walking around, and as he was walking around, he noticed one of the posters for uh, the meeting on, on a fence. And on the fence it said, uh, there was a revival, and it said, Harry Morehouse, the greatest of all British preachers. And as he looked at that, he was like, right there it is. I'm, we are elevating me. We're, we're trying to say, I'm this great preacher, when in fact, it doesn't matter how great a preacher you are, if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up and move, nothing of consequence is going to happen. And so he recognized it started, to go back to that verse, with humbling himself and with them all humbling themselves. And as they did that, they then began to see God move in a powerful way. And so we need to recognize not only that it starts with us, but if we want to see revival, we need to humble ourselves and bow down before the Lord and recognize that it is as we are humble before Him and, and know, okay, God, it's got to be you. We aren't where we need to be. We're not living up to your standards. Sometimes we get off track. We're not seeking you in the way that we should. We're humbling ourselves before you and asking you to help us to grow and to become more like you. And we recognize in all that how far short we fall. I remember going back I think it's a little over 20 seasons in, in the NBA. Um, David Robinson, the great center for the San Antonio Spurs, talked about maybe the 98-99 season, uh, the Spurs had drafted Tim Duncan. And, and as the Spurs went on to win uh, the championship that year, it was Tim Duncan who was named MVP uh, and not 
David Robinson. And David Robinson, talking about that afterwards, he said, you know, he said, in my entire career, I'd never gotten to the end of a, of a championship that we'd won where I wasn't the one holding the MVP, where I wasn't the one holding the trophy because I was the most important person. And he said, he's a Christian, he said, in that moment, he said it was difficult because he said I, jealousy started to kind of creep up. And he thought of that Old Testament story where um, Saul is a, is a commander who has done great things but then David shows up, and David does even greater things. And there's this chant that, that, that some of the people put forward that Saul has killed hundreds, but David has killed, has killed thousands. And Saul is consumed with jealousy, and that is the beginning of the hatred that he has toward David that will create uh, the situation where Saul will end up losing his kingdom. And David Robinson said he recognized in that moment, he said, I, I can't be filled with hatred or jealousy toward Tim. I need to be thankful that he has slayed his thousands. I need to be thankful that I have slayed my hundreds in terms of the wins and the victories that he's gotten. And he said, I, I need recognize the need to humble myself and recognize that I don't have to be the center of attention. I can be off here to the side doing what I need to do as long as we end up achieving what we're supposed to achieve. And within the church, we need to recognize sometimes we act like we're God's gift to the church or we act like we're the most important one. And we need to recognize we need to humble ourselves and know that the Holy Spirit is the one who needs to have the most attention, the one who needs to receive the most praise and honor because he's worthy of that. And it begins there, not only with recognizing it starts with us, but with us humbling ourselves, which leads us to the third thing. The third thing is this. It grows as we seek his face and not just his blessing. It grows as we seek his face and not just his blessing. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves, what's the next thing? And pray and seek my faith. A lot of times as we think about God in our lives, we seek him for what he can give to us. God, I, I want to be healthy, or God, I need a new job, or God, I want my kids to behave right, or God, I want whatever it may happen to be. We go after him, for the things that he can bring into our lives. And certainly following uh, the Lord brings blessings. We were talking the other day about the fruit of the Spirit being joy and peace and, and, and patience and, and, and love. And those, all things, those things all come into our lives. But oftentimes, if we're just seeking him for the blessing, it shows that we're just using God. Instead of seeking him for who he is, we'll pray and seek my faith. Sometimes we're just seeking his hands. What, what can you give me? How can you bless me? What can you lay upon me? And we need to recognize the need to seek his face. To be in his presence and to want to be near him and to want to talk to him, not for what he can give to us or not for the blessings that he can give, but simply because of who he is. And simply because... We love him and wanting to be in his presence. Um, I'm very thankful that um, even all these years into it, that after dealing with, not always, but some days you deal with annoying people and, and, and some days I have to do that, I'm thankful that I get to go home at the end of the day and talk to somebody, my wife, that I really like. And I, I just like talking to her and being able to share what's going on in my day without... Um, 
you know, being able to, to just unburden myself and know that she cares about me and she loves about me, loves me, and she's thinking of uh, of how she can help me. As we come before God, sometimes our prayer life is all okay. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, in Jesus' name, Amen. And there's no thank you. There's no just unburdening ourselves of what's going on. There's no talking to Him about our situations. We we need to reach a place where we seek. God's face and not just his blessing. And then the last thing. It says, continuing in verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek, or I'm, I'm sorry, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. The fourth thing is it strengthens as we no longer desire truth that stirs us without changing us. It strengthens as we no longer desire truth that stirs us without changing us. Sometimes when we come into church, and I know this morning we're missing a bunch of people because of, um, because of the snow and the ice and everything, but oftentimes when we come into church, whether it's a, a, a beautiful song that's sung, or whether it's somebody giving a testimony, or whether it's a sermon, Oftentimes when we come in, what we want is we want to be stirred. We want some emotional experience where, uh, where we walk out and we're like, man, that song really moved me, or that sermon just really spoke to me, or whatever it may happen to be. We want that emotional experience that stirs us. But not nearly as often as wanting to be stirred do we want to be changed. Man, the preacher stomped on my toes this morning. I mean, that really hurt because I know I needed to deal with this anger issue but I didn't know the Holy Spirit was just going to kick my butt for 20 minutes in the sermon this morning about that. Or I know I need to deal with this envy issue, but I didn't know the Holy Spirit was, was going to uh, bring it up again and again in the sermon this morning. Whatever it may happen to be or in somebody's testimony, we need to recognize that going back to it starts with us being the people of God and all these other things that we've talked about. But if we're going to get to where we need to be before the Lord, it has to include not just wanting to be stirred, but wanting to be changed. Do, do I want to be as much like Jesus as possible? Do, do I desire to be as close to God as I can? Or do I want a God who will okay, keep my kids safe and help me to get good grades in school and you know, keep uh, everybody healthy and, and make sure that I don't lose my job? And other than that, just leave me alone. Do I want as much of God, as much of Jesus as I can get. It, it requires, one of the things, among several others, is that it requires that I turn from my wicked ways. I, I'm going to understand as I grow in Jesus, as I hear the sermons, as I read the Bible, as I pray, there's going to be things that, that are going to be brought up to me that I recognize, okay, I, I, need to, I need to do this differently. I need to push that aside, or I need to become more like that. Am I willing to, to push those things aside Am I willing to make those changes so that I can become more like Jesus Christ? One of the mistakes that we make when it comes to, I'll use a really easy example. When it comes to, she's fired from heaven. When we talk about revival in our, in our town, revival in our church, revival in our town, when we talk about that, the way that we often look at it is, okay, I want this to happen so our county or so our church so our county can be transformed, so that 
you know, the, the people that are addicted, now, you know, they've got problems, so that they can help, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they can be made clean and start to live lives, which will not only benefit them, but then our town won't have backpackers walking around, all that kind of stuff. And we, we oftentimes will look at it like, okay, we need other people to, to get changed. We need other people to get saved, and we need other people to, to become different than they are. And what this passage points us to this morning is that the starting point of revival is not looking around saying, okay, I need them to change. But the starting point of revival is looking within myself and say, God, I need to change. I need to be more like Jesus. I want to grow and to have less sin in my life and more Jesus in my life. I want to be like Jesus. And unless we're willing to start there, where I say, I'm willing to be changed. Show me where I've messed up. Show me where I'm off track. Don't just, don't just stir me and then leave, let me leave the, the sanctuary the same as I was before. But Father, change me so that I can be somebody who is day by day more like Jesus. The goal of the Christian life is not to stay the same all the way through our lives and then get transformed when we get over on the other side. The goal is to become more like Jesus every single day. And so he gives us the Bible. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us a new spiritual heart so that we can become more like Jesus every single day so that we are transformed during this life. He'll finish it when we get to the other side. But so that we can be changed in the here and the now. Do I want to be changed? And if your answer is, I don't know, then you should probably quit praying for revival. You should probably quit praying for fire from heaven. Because if your whole goal is what God can do for everybody else and not what God can do within you, then he's probably not going to be listening to your prayers. Because it starts, as we've read here, with us. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, as we, as the people of God, do all that, then what happens? Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It doesn't start with everybody else. It starts with us asking for the Holy Spirit to change Father, it's so easy it's so easy for us to put the blame elsewhere. And it's so easy for us to stay on the spiritual plateau we're on right now and just kind of coast. And Father, I pray this morning that as the Holy Spirit um, convicts our hearts, whether it's about a big issue or a small issue, whether it's something that would easily be changed or would be one of the more difficult things we've ever done in our lives. Father, as, as we desire to see fire from heaven, as we desire to see revival in our church and in our city and in our county that transforms lives, help us to know that it starts with us wanting you, seeking you, humbling ourselves, and allowing the Holy Spirit to change.
Father, in this moment, may we want that change as much as you want to bring. I pray in Jesus' name. And amen.